1972, New York City. As DJ Grand Wizard Theodore wrestles and experiments with his turntables, he stumbles over a sound that usually strikes a cringe by his dance floor. Instead of hearing vinyl tear, the wizard hears beauty, opportunity and art. And there was born the record scratch, a signature of hip-hop. The sound was never intended to be music and never intended by the creators of the turntables. His new instrument created something entirely new. This is an example of a hacker, an artist who doesn't accept our tools the way they're boxed up for us. Artists are hackers, and hackers are artists. Musicians, graffiti artists, chefs, designers, and true artists treat this permission like their rite of passage whenever you give them a turntable or a paintbrush. As Jack Nicholson's character, Frank Costello, says in The Departed, you give me a fucking tuber, I'll get you something out of it. So imagine what happens when you put an artist in front of the technology inside our screens. How are they going to pull, push, kick down the coded doors and create, or should I say, hack new art? This episode, we look at the artists of today and how they are manipulating technology to create another level of art that is changing how we look at our screens and our lives. Like Simon Wickett, who emptied the streets of Berlin by hacking Google Maps, just to remind us that the technology we inherit from Silicon Valley controls more than just our undivided attention. I used uh, 99 smartphones, which I carried in a little hand working behind me in the streets of Berlin. And by doing so, I was able to generate a virtual traffic jam on Google Maps. My name is Tommy McCubbin and this is Future Sandwich episode 29, The Art of the Hack. Now close your eyes. When I say the word hacker, what images come to mind? Let me guess. A sinister 20-something in a black hoodie, in a dark room, hunched over a keyboard. This episode is designed to smash this picture to pieces and give the term hacker an aspirational, optimistic and productive brand. Because by and large, that is what hackers are. Someone who helps progress our culture, society and economy forward with bold new ideas. Always breaking the egg to make a delicious omelette. Our first guest is someone who's made it his mission to redefine the hacker stereotype. Because well, he is one. Okay. Um, so yes, my name is Evan, and professionally I'm an artist, but I also consider myself to be a hacker. Um, I don't view these as two separate parts of one practice, but a rather something that encompasses all of the work that I make. And so what I'd like to present to you today is my work within the context of the hack, but perhaps more importantly, how we can learn to, from the hackers and apply them to things that happen outside the realm of code, outside the realm of software, and outside of computer screens. So to, I'd, I'd like to do this by looking at how um, the hacker community defines itself and how people have defined what that word means because it's not an easy word to define. It's easier to talk about what it's not. And the, the community of hackers that I'm going to be talking about today that grew up with the open source movement, um, they agree at least on one thing, which is that it's not about stealing passwords and, and stealing credit cards, despite what the news media and the entertainment media tend to show us very often. Um, hackers tend to wear that word as a badge of pride. 
Wikipedia, of course, has a definition for the term hacker. Wikipedia says to expose or add functionality to a device that was unintended for use by the end users, by the company who created it. And it's here that I think, at least I start to see the connection to graffiti. Um, and if you think about the Krylon company, right, they, they never intended for people to point their product at other people's property. This was a, a brilliant or a terrible hack, depending on your view on graffiti, but it's one that nonetheless changed the way most of our cities look. And my fascination with graffiti is really a fascination with hackers. I think that graffiti writers are one of the most uh, interesting hacker communities of our generation. And so when I'm inspired by and falling in love with great graffiti, it's not about how well rendered the paint is, it's not how many colors are in it. It has everything to do with where those letters are placed and what systems it's hacking into. And this is something that was a part of graffiti since the beginning. Um, I'm not sure graffiti writers self-identify as hackers, but if you look at how graffiti was born in New York and in Philadelphia in the 60s and 70s along the subway systems, right? This was a brilliant hack. This was a group of people exploiting a system for something it wasn't intended to do, right? To, export, to, to transport art instead of transport people throughout the city. And so when I'm working with graffiti writers, this is what I'm trying to do as well. It's less about paint, it's less about dripping ink, and it's more about hacks on an urban scale. Eric S. Raymond is a big player in defining hacker culture and in talking about hacker culture. He is a self-described hacker, a software developer, and author. In 1997, he wrote an essay called The Cathedral and the Bazaar. And in this essay, he uses these two metaphors of the cathedral and the bazaar to talk about two very different approaches to software development. The cathedral being the single architect, the top-down design, and the bazaar being a design that doesn't have a single plan, a design that came together through many people acting in collaboration or acting under their own autonomous means, nonetheless cobbling together something that didn't have a single plan. And it's this bizarre model that I find so interesting and applicable to the arts community. Eric Raymond also wrote another document, probably the most pointed to definition of hacker, um, called How to Become a Hacker. And to, to illustrate this connection that I see between what's happening in the hacker communities and what's happening now in the arts communities, I'm going to perform a very simple hack upon this document that Raymond wrote. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to view the source code of his web page I'm going to copy that all into a blank text document. And from here, I'm going to perform very simple find and replace word searches for every reference to the term hacker and replace it with the word artist. I'm going to save this as a new document, a new web page. And instead of how to become a hacker, this is going to be how to become an artist. And when we open this up, what we're going to see is Raymond's words as applied to art making instead of as applied to hacking. And so Looking at our How to Become an Artist document here, it says, step one is full of fascinating problems waiting to be solved. Being an artist is lots of fun, but it's the kind of fun that takes a lot of effort. Number two is no problem should ever have to be solved twice. To behave like an artist, you have to believe that the thinking time of other artists is precious, so much so that it's almost a moral duty for you to share information, solve problems, and then give the solutions away just so other artists can solve new problems instead of having to perpetually readdress old ones. Number three is boredom and drudgery are evil. Artists and creative people in general should never be bored or have to drudge at stupid repetitive work because when this happens, it means they aren't doing what only they can do, solve new problems. This wastefulness hurts everybody. 
Therefore, boredom and drudgery are not just unpleasant, but actually evil. Okay, the next and the last one I'm going to leave you with from Eric Raymond's How to Become an Artist document is freedom is good. Authoritarians thrive on censorship and secrecy, and they distrust voluntary cooperation and information sharing. They only like cooperation that they control. So to behave like an artist, you have to develop an instinctive hostility to censorship, secrecy, and the use of force or deception to compel responsible adults. And you have to be willing to act on that belief. And this notion of freedom, whether it's talking about free software or whether it's talking about free speech issues, is something that's um, part of the hacking community and part of what runs through, a thread that runs throughout my work. When I look back on the documentation from this piece, I've actually grown to really like these kind of reactions because what, what, what I was seeing is people very honestly reacting to this notion of empowerment. And th this idea of empowerment is really at the core of why I think the hacking community has so many ramifications for things outside of just computers. Um, and it's a way of taking these technologies, whether they're high technologies like eye tracking or very, very low technologies like zip ties, and transforming these technologies into empowering technologies. And so what I would like to leave you with is an invitation, um, an invitation to perform your own find and replace results on Eric Raymond's How to Become a Hacker document. Uh, I've kind of talked about how I see these connections between hacking and art, but I invite you to put in your own interests, whether it's education or business or politics. Um, and, and I think that any field that touches innovation, any field that touches creativity, has a lot to learn from this community that self-identifies as hackers. You heard the man, anything that requires creativity is a hack by its very nature. But in its purest form, we take existing ideas and break them open to reveal their intrinsic, true nature. Our next guest outsmarted one of the biggest tech platforms by using their own tactics against them. Yeah, my name is Simon Weckert. I'm a Berlin-based new media artist and I'm working with yeah, technology, new media, um, microcontrollers, coding, and so on. Um, these are my tools I work with, but in the end, it's for me much more the question like how technology shapes um, society. Um, and there's one sentence I'm kind of following, which is by Marshall McLuhan, where he's saying like, at first we shape our tools and then they shape us. And that's something I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to let's say, um, implement into my artworks. Um, well, I got the idea when I went to a 1st of May demonstration in Berlin, where usually a lot of people go out there and demonstrate for their labor rights. And in this moment, um, I had to look at my smartphone and I realized that uh, suddenly um, some yeah, virtual traffic appeared on Google Maps. And then I was like, oh, interesting. Um, I didn't realize that, or it looks like this, that Google doesn't realize that there are not cars in the streets. And because in fact, there had been a lot of people walking alongside the streets. And then I thought like, yeah, I would like to recreate that. And for me, it was quite clear that I don't um, need the people or uh, basically cars. All it needs are, uh, let's say a bunch of smartphones. And then basically, and this was the starting point. Yeah, the project 99 smartphones. Um, sorry, Google Maps hacks 99 smartphones. <laughs> so I'm already giving the answer. So the, um, the project Google Maps hacks, um, 
is an art performance where I use uh, 99 smartphones, which I carried in a little hand dragon behind me in the streets of Berlin. And by doing so, I was able to generate a virtual traffic jam on Google Maps. And yeah, this had the effect that um, cars were being rerouted around me. And uh, after a while, the street was, you know, more and more empty by cars. And suddenly I realized that this virtual hack had an impact into the physical world. And this was quite um, interesting to me, like how these tools can shape the way how we, let's say, move um, every day. And did you hear from Google after you did it? Did they reach out and and talk to you about it? Um, I mean, not direct or maybe more or less indirectly. Yeah. So there was a Google spokesperson and he was, I think he gave an interview to the Guardian or to some uh, newspapers um, where he said like, yeah, no matter what it is, like it's, you know, a person, a person on a camel or whatever person on something in the city, we are trying to, to track everything and they are happy about that. Uh, let's say artists um, are using their tools to make them aware of such kind of, let's say, bugs in their software and they're trying to, to work on it, that it will not happen in the, uh, again in the future. But um, like this was somehow like indirect let's say um, um, uh, feedback from them but the other part was also that i had before i published this project i had another um, project online on my web page which is called google maps borders <clears throat> where i scanned um, the borders of each country with regards to the let's say few of um, all other countries because we know right there are different google maps versions and um, depending on where you're coming from, you get in that sense also different maps and also different data. And um, so what I um, realized there is that Google, they are drawing different borders with regards to where you're coming from. And I had this um, project online that was interactable, zoomable, clickable and so on. And after I published the 99 smartphone project, um, suddenly this uh, uh, project didn't work anymore on my web page. So it looked like that um, that Google or some guys from Google, they had to, had to look at my web page and then they figured out like how I'm going to do some kind of API requests or fishy array to the API. And um, I think then they blocked this 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 request and uh, the project wasn't working anymore. But luckily I did some screenshots before that. And so I could basically replace it with some still images. Um, and also before I did this project, I already realized that there are, let's say, multiple ways, like how you can generate virtual traffic on Google Maps. And um, like the way I did it was really more like the analog and maybe also the easy, let's say, way to understand how this technology is working because also the, yeah, I call it the performance or the, you can also say the artwork or yeah, I think it's more a performance in a sense um was really much more made for uh, an audience which is not so familiar with you know with technology and um also get them a bit more an easy understanding like what's behind that um layer of for example like how virtual traffic is generated through maps and surprisingly you know for me also coming from the from the tech bubble or technology bubble and for me it was quite clear but 
surprisingly, I realized that a lot of people, they don't know actually how this tool is, is working and how Google is generating, um, for example, virtual traffic. And of course, like for them, suddenly it became quite clear, ah, right, they are using our smartphones. And basically, we're getting tracked by them. And then, you know, this, 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 this traffic is generated. What's the relationship between hackers and artists? <clears throat> hmm. I mean, basically, the term hacker is something we definitely need to define because a lot of people, they say like hacking is more like technology or tech orientated, which is for me not, I think, right? Uh, you can also hack your table or chair and that's really more the creative process, right? Like you see that object and you think like, no, actually I, I gonna use it in a different way. I'll put something on it and uh, and give them an extra function, for example. And I think this creative process, uh, which is triggered in your mind is pretty similar to um, as an artist, let's say like this, uh, right? Because you also think about topics, you think about um, like how can you tell stories how can you recreate something and i think there the process is quite similar between between hackers and artists the process of coming up with an idea may be different but in the end there is a thin line between what is an artist and what is a hacker as the internet slowly evolves into web3 blockchain enabled technologies we will see the platform for hackers grow where the canvas of the internet isn't determined by a handful of trillion-dollar tech giants from Silicon Valley. Open, free and fair is the promise, which is the best environment for creatives. The bazaar, not the cathedral, if you will. I hope this episode leaves you with a sense of permission to lift the hood on what you see on screens and meddle with that, break it, repaint it. Too often, we simply accept the way our technologies are packaged up for us. We don't need to write code to be a hacker. You just need to have a message you want the world to hear and a killer idea to help it spread. My name is Tommy McCubbin and this has been another episode of Future Sandwich. If you enjoyed the pod, share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you're listening to it. Connect with me and the show at futuresandwich.com or catch me on Australia's number one business show, The Rebound, 12.30 Saturdays on Channel 9 across Australia. You can watch it on thereboundtv.com. So thanks to Evan Roth. You can grab his TED Talk on the website and also Simon Weckett for sharing his Google Maps hack story. You can catch videos of both on the website. See you again in the not-too-distant future.